We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pack-A-Day podcast, episode number 430. It is Saturday, so happy weekend to everybody. I am Jason Perrone, and no Paul Brettel with me this week. He's got a house full of guests, so Mike Wendland is here filling in. Mike, thanks for being here. How's everything going? Well, I'm glad to do it. It's It's been a rough couple of days after the loss, but I, there's still some bright side. I mean, there's a reason that their opponent was a Super Bowl champion a couple years ago, so... A lot to learn from, a lot to build on, and no better way to do it than with the Pack-A-Day podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Agree 100%. You know, we, it is kind of – you have to remember the Eagles were Super Bowl champs just two years ago, and they beat the Patriots, which is no small task. So, you know, they've still got a lot of that coaching staff and, and players that carry over from that. So a good lesson for the up-and-coming Packers who looked great through the first three games, and this was just kind of a hiccup, hopefully, that – They'll learn from, you know, unfortunately it happened at home in Lambeau Field in a game that I thought that coming in that they should win. They were taking on a banged up Eagles team, but Philadelphia kind of kind of showed us that any any given day a team can be beat or a team can win a game that maybe they're not supposed to. So now I think the Packers turn around and look to do the same, but before we get to what is up to come for them, we're going to be talking about game-changing plays and performances from the Eagles game. So 
we're a little bit removed from it now. Everything's kind of, the dust has settled a little bit. We know a little bit more. There were some injuries that took place. Um, and we did learn that Devontae Adams had a toe issue and there was some speculation as to how severe that might be. Sounds like it's not going to be serious. There is uh, not a timetable that was reported unless you saw anything, Mike. I didn't, but it looks like he might have an outside chance to play against Dallas. But obviously, you got to be feeling pretty good. That's, you know, next to Aaron Rodgers. I don't, I don't know if there's anybody that's more vital to the Packers' success than number 17. Yeah, the only one that might be more important would be David Bakhtieri. But yeah, it sounds like it's kind of it's a kind of a version of turf toe that he got because he kind of got he kind of got rolled over on the play where he was injured. Kind of got his foot turned a little bit. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about that. And it seems like even the other guys it seemed like they escaped some major injuries. And it sounds because it sounds like Jamal Williams is going to be fine. Uh, I haven't heard about Will Redmond who got a concussion, and but it sounds like Kevin King's going to be fine. And so really escaping those ones is really going to help them in the future. Yeah, Brian Bulaga left with a shoulder injury and didn't come back. I don't know how serious that one's going to be. If he can't play, there's there's going to have to be some strategy there. And Tony Brown also left. He's got a hamstring. Hamstrings and Kevin King with the groin, those soft tissue injuries are just, you never know. You know, I feel bad for King. It seems like it's always something with him. But he has definitely looked a lot different this season so far. So... Um, and in fact, while we're talking about game-changing plays and performances, I know he's not necessarily on our short list to, to really break down and talk about a lot, but on a night where the Packers' defense struggled to, main, to contain the Eagles' offense, Kevin King had, he was credited with two pass breakups. I, I thought I saw three. Uh, it was a nice, nice thing to see him step up and kind of be the man as – a, you know, an early second round draftee from two years ago. And this was kind of something that they were hoping to get from King right away, but better late than never. Right. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I thought he had a very good game. And when you look at the game itself, almost all the Eagles damage came in between the hashes. It was the tight ends in the middle. It was the running game. Their receivers couldn't get much separation. They had a couple of slants to Hollins. Alshon had a couple plays, but King pretty much locked him down. And the secondary I thought wasn't an issue. It was the front seven and just the power of that really, really good Eagles old line was the issue. Yeah, King was definitely probably the biggest standout defensively. That and oddly enough, they showed how much they missed Montrevious Adams. Yeah, that was a big loss. One that kind of surprised me. I think I've kind of slept on Adams a little bit. So now I'm going to be more in tune with what he provides when he comes back because having him there obviously opens up a lot of things then for Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, and Rayshon Gary too. So um, that's that was a big loss uh, for sure. But if we start at the beginning of the game, you know, one of the first game-changing plays was, was really unfortunate. It was Jamal Williams on a run. He's trying to motor through two Eagles defenders um, who've got him stood up. And Eagles defensive lineman or linebacker Derek Barnett comes in and hits Williams with, I guess, with his shoulder. He did kind of turn his head at the last second, but he hits him right in the right in the head. Obviously, gave kind of knocked him knocked him out a little bit. Williams is on the ground, really really woozy, and then the trainers had to come over and and he ended up getting wheeled out as a precaution and had to spend the night overnight in the hospital. Now we know, like you said, Williams looks like he's going to be okay. Um, I don't know what the long term 
prognosis is there. That anytime you see one of your guys wheeled out on uh, off the field, you know there, there's been so much talk about player safety. You know it's got to be in the back of these guys' minds. Hey, that could be me next time. It's it's kind of a it's not a loss in terms of yards or points. I mean somehow he hung onto the ball. It's more of an emotional thing. So for me, that was the first first big key um, every, you know there were some varying opinions on whether or not it was a cheap shot or a dirty play I'm not exactly convinced that that was true I think that's just kind of the way Barnett plays he plays hard um, and that that's that's just something and you've watched a lot of live football too I mean sometimes that's that's just the way it goes it was an unfortunate thing but how did you see that yeah it's it's weird that I think I think it was dirty but not malicious because I, I think it's almost as much on the officials as well. Because that's the point where Jamal was stopped by three different Eagles. You got to blow the whistle and get that play done. He's not going anywhere. He's not going to be churning more yardage out. His forward, his forward momentum is gone. Just blow the whistle, stop the play, and stop someone, someone from coming in and making that extra hit. Because yes, he turned a little bit, and the NFL tried to use that to claim why he's there's going to be no like suspension or, or ejection from that when it happened. But there, there was helmet to helmet contact. Williams was almost out before he hit the ground. He went headfirst into the ground. And it was one of those plays where it's not as bad as the Danny Trevathan on Devontae Adams play a couple years ago, but it wasn't good. And, and like you said, it was an emotional blow because Jamal Williams is kind of the heartbeat of this group. He's always dancing, always smiling, always having fun, and it really helps keep the team light and loose. And seeing a guy like that being stretched out to go to the hospital – it definitely does kind of sit in your head a little bit, and it's one of those plays where the fact that it happened was, I think it was the first play from scrimmage, it definitely would kind of, you could tell it was in guy's mind, and also it left the Packers with only two healthy uh, backs, with Vitaly and Jones, with Dexter Williams uh, not being not being active. So that really handcuffed the offense, and it and a play some plays later in the game, I guarantee you, if Jamal Williams is in, that changes the way uh, Matt LaFleur calls that game. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, you know, I have to wonder what happens if he loses the ball on his way down. I mean, do they just let the play go and they give the Eagles the ball there? I mean, you know, we've seen the officials react in interesting ways. And I have to wonder if, if he had dropped the ball or fumbled it, if they don't throw a flag because they, they realize, okay, that was egregious, but he hung out of the ball. So maybe in their mind, it was like, well, it couldn't have been that bad if he hung out of the ball. I don't know. Like you said, it, those are bang, bang plays and it happens really fast. But to me, and it, you know, you just kind of second it there. That's that was one of the first game changers. There was the Packers do lose one of their running backs, so if Williams isn't able to go against the Cowboys next Sunday, Dexter Williams is coming up, and then you've got him behind Aaron Jones, and then like you said, Danny Vitale at fullback. But Williams kind of up and down during the preseason, and he hasn't been active. Uh, you know, if if he's been active, I think it was maybe for one game or not at all. He just not didn't seem like he it didn't seem like he was that ready to to play. And at some point, he's got to get his turn and get some reps and, and get some game action. But I don't think the Packers drew it up that that would happen on a, in a big road game that, that hopefully now they, they can steal uh, in Dallas against a really good, uh, what's turning into a really good Dallas defense. So that's going to be a situation to monitor in terms of, of running back there. And who knows if the Packers make any movement uh, in that particular area or not. But uh, that was you know that was pretty early in the game, and then you know we get through the first quarter, and the start of the second quarter, um, you know the the Packers I think it was after Mason Crosby's first field goal they give up a 67 yard return to Miles Sanders, you know Mason Crosby actually had to make the tackle so now the Eagles have a really short field, and they go down and score their first touchdown, those that field position thing you know Mike the thing that frustrated me was they've got a new special teams coach. 
It was such an issue last year. It was embarrassing. That last game of the season against the Lions, I mean, Matt Prater throwing a touchdown. Special teams was a dumpster fire for the Packers, and it was an attitude, and it was that was missing. It was a you know a major lack of discipline. And listen, Miles Sanders is a good returner. You know, I, I don't want to take anything away from what he did, but if you watch that play again, it just looked like there was this big gaping hole by the Packers. So I don't know what you saw there in terms of whether that was just a great play by the Eagles and they had it blocked well or if the Packers got undisciplined in their lanes. I think it was a little bit of both because with all the talk of the defense struggling, there was a lot of short fields as well, which we'll get to over the course of this podcast. But looking at remembering that return, you have to remember that when this return happened, Tony Brown was out. Jay Kumro has been inactive. He's a big special teams player now for them as well. And so you're running with guys like Chandon Sullivan has to move spots. Josh Jackson had to move out further on, on the kick coverage team. B.J. Goodson had to move out a little bit further. So they were, they were on reserves on the special teams units and guys who were playing out of position in the special teams. And when you have a guy like Miles Sanders who is very, very athletic, he tested out of the roof leading up to the draft. So you know he's going to be an explosive player. You have to be that much more disciplined. And, and to be really honest, the Eagles are one of the most well-coached teams top to bottom in the NFL. And whether you like Jim Schwartz or not defensively, because I know a lot of people don't right now, but guys like Doug Peterson and their special teams coordinator – do a very, very good job getting those guys ready to play and to be assignment sure. And they were absolutely that, and then some on the, on the kickoff returns. That is a very, very sneaky, hidden thing, is the coaching and the discipline. Coaching and discipline is a huge part of the culture that's set by the coaching staff. And I believe that Matt LaFleur and his team are working their way every week towards that. The way that they talk about the team, the way that they handle adversity, now they've had a loss... I hear all the right things from them. I think the Packers are, are on the cusp of that. You know, if they don't get get hit their stride this season, by next season or the season after, you know, this this coaching staff is is hopefully going to be mentioned in the same breath with guys like the Philadelphia Eagles. It's tough to to match what's going on in New England for obvious reasons, but yeah, and I, I think Jim Schwartz is a, you know is an easy villain. But let's be honest, if he was coaching the Green Bay Packers and the Packers had a little bit more of that dog in them, I don't think Packers fans would be too upset about it. So just, you know, kind of a kind of a nice play by Philadelphia. Gave themselves a short field. They go and score their first touchdown, and it's a ball game. So then mid through the second quarter, Mason Crosby hits another field goal, but he follows that up with a kick out of bounds. Um, you know, the Eagles start off the 40-yard line, and they then march down and score it on that possession. So... During the preseason, they had Sam Ficken in camp. I don't think anybody really believed that Mason Crosby wasn't going to be the kicker. I think the Packers wanted it to be Crosby, but they were trying to push him a little bit. He struggled last year. That game in Detroit just sticks in my brain as one that he struggled, and, and he hasn't has, has not struggled to kick the ball through the upright so far, so I can't complain about that. But kicking the ball out of bounds at this point in his career, a 12-year veteran, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. It's just It's very frustrating. No, it wasn't. It makes you wonder if they were trying to do some sort of strategy to try and pin Sanders in a corner or trying to put him on the side, near a sideline, and he just mishit it. Like we, we don't know what the call was for those, so we never know for sure. And it's, so it's easy to blame the kicker. But you're right. It is something that is really frustrating, especially having given them a short field earlier on the big kick return. And as, as fans, we get they, we're, it, it's almost like a deja vu when you see the special team struggle because it's been a Packers problem for it seems like a now a hundred years, and so it's it's one of those things where it just it's easy to amplify because we're so used to it, and 
and it's it's something that that's avoidable. And and because when the defense gave Philadelphia long fields, they did a pretty good job. But it was the short fields and with your back against the wall that they didn't respond very well. Yeah, no doubt. You know, and I I think you know give Crosby the benefit of the doubt. He's a good kicker, but you know he's able to bury the ball out of the back of the end zone when he when he kicks just off center. So. I mean, just stick with what you're good at, you know. I mean, you just try to bury it out of bounds and don't let the returner return the ball. I mean, and maybe Crosby's leg isn't as consistent and he doesn't always have it, you know. I mean, that's something that happens, you know. Everybody ages differently. Everybody wants to hope that Crosby can be Adam Vinatieri and still kicking 10 years from now, but I just don't know if that's exactly going to be the case. So speaking of those short fields, Unfortunately, on the next possession, the Packers have the ball. Now, they're on their own 30, so they're, you know, they've got a chance to drive. And Rodgers drops back. Um, he gets strip-sacked by who Barnett. else? By who else? Derek Barnett. Mercedes Lewis misses a block. Barnett gets around him, and he gets the strip-sack on Rodgers. And the Eagles recover the ball, and they've got, you know, now they're only 30 yards away. Um, Jordan Howard takes over. The Eagles find the end zone again. Now, what I didn't realize was until Friday was watching the film on that particular play, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is open. He's got the safety beat, and if Rodgers can get rid of that ball and put it on him, there's a a chance no one's going to catch 83 because does anybody ever catch 83? So uh, when you saw the film there, I mean, it was already frustrating. You know, Rodgers takes pretty good care of the ball, but... To see something like that, and then the Eagles go down and score, that's a 14-point swing. That's just, you, you can't have those kind of things in games against teams like the Eagles. Well, absolutely, and I, I'll need to watch it again, but a couple of things from that play, Rishak, like you said, and Aaron said after the game that it was a design shot play to MVS. That play was meant to be that way. It, and it looked like he was getting ready to wind up when he got hit. Like He looked like he was getting ready to step into it and let it fly. And on the other end, also with the block, I, I need to look at it again a little closer, but it looked like uh, Marcy Lewis may have stumbled just a little bit out of his stance, just just a hair, because he had to slide from right to left, because they, they saw the protection right. He had to come by backside and block Barnett. And just that little stumble was all it took to get beat to get beat wide, and Barnett looped back around in, on a long developing play and got to, to Rodgers to knock it out. And it was a very clean strip. It wasn't, he didn't like come behind and just like whack the form. He got the ball pretty cleanly. So I, I feel like if there if Lewis doesn't stumble a little bit and he can get Burnett a little bit further out of the play and Rodgers has a chance to really wind up, that is that is definitely a game changing play because that is probably six points for MBS, who had a pretty who had a pretty solid game. He did pretty well there, and of course, you know, Mercedes Lewis, who's a pretty good blocker for a tight end, stumbles against the one guy on the Eagles defense that you probably can't afford that, which is. Derek Barnett so that was kind of tough that was that was a tough one for sure so the Eagles get the ball like I said they take the they take it down they score um, the Packers did get in the end zone to end the half so they and knowing they had the ball to start the second half they had a chance for a double dip so they they marched down they end the half with a touchdown to Geronimo Allison Allison had two big catches on that uh, on that drive and he only had three all night so those two really really mattered made him made him count they had the chance for the double dip, but coming out of halftime on their first possession, the Packers end up punting. So they weren't able to complete the double dip there. They were just kind of playing, trying to play catch up the, the entire time. But we get into the fourth quarter, and there's about nine minutes left to go in the game, and the Packers are in a first and goal situation at the one-yard line. Now, last season they had several of these possessions as well. 
and there was a lot of frustration. The, the Packers offense was very disjointed last year. Obviously, one of the reasons why Mike McCarthy's not the head coach anymore, among many others. But first and goal, with this new regime and this new offense and some of the things that we've seen, we probably felt a little bit more confident that they were going to be able to punch it into the end zone. Now, what ends up happening is it's four straight passes. They all fall incomplete. The Eagles hold, and they take over possession. Now, those were obviously run. They were RPOs. They were run pass options. They weren't all called passes, and Aaron Rodgers has the ability to kind of make his decision at the line there. But talk me through what you saw and kind of your, your thought process. I mean, for me, it was very frustrating because as, as, as you're watching the game unfold, unless you're, you're you know, an X's and O's junkie, which I am not, it's hard to really understand what's happening from the TV copy as well. It's hard to see everything. So four straight passes and they don't score. That was when I kind of started to think to myself, man, the Eagles have the momentum here, and this, this might be a really tough one for Green Bay to, to try to swoop in and steal. No, definitely. And, and we, had the, we had the fade in the, on the first down to Jimmy Graham. And, I, and there's going to be a lot of flack for Graham not catching the fourth down play. He, he had a good game. Leave him alone. He, he was very strong in this game, including the big touchdown earlier. But the, the, the one play that sticks out to me is I think it was the third down play where Aaron rolls out left and just ends up throwing it away. It looked like Jimmy Graham had his guy sealed off at the goal line. So if Rodgers throws it right into the belt of Graham, it looks like he's gonna, he has no choice but to catch it. So I think I was wondering if he may have missed an opportunity there to just throw it right into the, into the gut of his tight end who looked like he had a guy boxed out. But, and also throughout the course of that drive, I couldn't help but think this is a spot where you could really use Jamal Williams. He, he's, he's been their power back. He was very, look how good he was against Denver, getting churning yards, keeping the legs going, and pushing the pile. You think he can't do that for one yard against Philly? I think I, – I, I can almost guarantee that if he's, if he's healthy, he's in that game, he's getting a carry. And, and I think he probably would score. So that's another going, going back to the beginning of the game, losing your big physical power back comes back to hurt later. Yeah, it does. And I know Rodgers loves Danny Vitale, and that doesn't mean that Vitale's a great back carrying the ball, but you've got another option there of a guy that can maybe try to get a tough yard. Philadelphia, second-best run defense in the NFL, very stingy, and we saw why. I mean, they, they don't give up anything at all. They've got it, they've got it pretty well sealed off, and they've, they've decided, listen, the, the poison we're going to pick is you try to beat us through the air, which is interesting because that's what the NFL's all about these days. But uh, it, it worked well for – I mean, if, if that's what got into the heads of either Matt LaFleur and or Aaron Rodgers, then the Eagles are doing something right on defense for sure. So they go four straight. They, they, they don't score any points there, not even a field goal. But at that point, I have to be honest with you, I, I was thinking go for it too. You're at the one-yard line. How many times have we seen them kick a field goal and then not get another opportunity? And it's like, you know, you never know what would happen. If, if they try to get in the end zone and they score, then they tie the game. So – Trade some punts back and forth. There's about a minute left, and the Packers have first and goal at the seven-yard line. They need seven points to tie this game, eight points to win. And so at that point, with one minute left, you know the Packers are going to work the clock down. So either they're going to tie it and send it into overtime, the Eagles aren't going to get a chance to run another offensive series, or the Packers are going to win it on a walk-off at the end with, with the clock running down. How confident were you at that point, even after the, they – didn't score the last time they had first and goal. How confident were you on that that late first and goal situation? I was confident. I thought 
the the game the passing game was looking smooth. The offensive line is doing a very solid job. I, I thought they had a very good chance of getting points and scoring, and especially with the way they're going because and they were leaving less and less time on the field. And I thought you had mismatches with Graham. They were then they were exploiting that. MVS, the play that ended up deciding the game, I thought was a good design play because you had MVS coming through on the slant, Shepard coming through. You have you have size with Alan Lazard after he drew that pass interference. And, and so you have that six-five body in there. You have guys like Tanya. You can you can use, Aaron Jones got used a lot in the passing game. So the confidence was high that they're going to make a, they're going to make a play. And then after Anderson Dejo knocked out his own teammate, uh, they had to bring in another reserve on what was already a banged up secondary for Philly, which was which is where their injuries were. It was almost all their secondary. The front seven wasn't really hurt. But and then and then eventually, obviously, we saw how the game ended. It didn't go the way they planned, but. I think the, I think with those plays, I think they'd run them again. I think they were good designs, and I think just the Eagles made a play. They well, they did, and I was going to get to that too. Um, you know, who let the dogs out? I guess uh, maybe those were some of the Eagles defenders that are still hanging out in the Green Bay area there that we heard just a moment ago. Those um, my dogs. Yeah, it uh, you know it, it was it was unfortunate. So obviously, then that leads to the the last play. Uh, Rogers throws a pass to Marquez Valdez Scantling. A lot of analysis on this particular formation, but and again, you know, we kind of talked about this beforehand. I I don't like to blame the referees because they make calls that go both ways, and it, it just kind of works itself out. Unless you're in a situation like the NFC Championship game last year, which we all remember with the Rams and the Saints, the reason why coaches can actually challenge pass interference, which also didn't work out on a couple of occasions last night as well, or on uh, Thursday as well, but. It certainly looked like Marquez Valdez-Scantling was going to have a tough time catching that ball because neither of his arms seemed to be available to him. And so they get the pick. And we another thing we talked about, they review every turnover. Now, there's no question it was a turnover. He caught the ball. It was an interception. But I believe, I think it was week two, if I'm not mistaken, where they reviewed, they reviewed the touchdown with the Vikings and then decided, okay, wait a second, there was pass interference here and they took it off the board. If I'm not, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that was the case. So in my mind, if you're going to review a turnover, you should then also be looking at, okay, was there any pass interference? They missed it. Either they missed it or they, I don't, I don't, I don't know how, but they missed it somehow. So did you agree? Did you see it that same way? And, and what was your take? Oh no, it was obvious pass interference. Like you said, MVS couldn't use his arms. He was the corner got there early enough that he had basically wrapped him up by the time the ball was gotten there, and I don't know whether they thought it was tipped by somebody else that instead of by hitting MVS or they thought another guy got a hand on it which made it fine or if Rogers they thought Rogers may have gotten out of the pocket or whatever, but no they missed they definitely missed it, and I agree with you I don't like blaming the officials they it is a, it's a tough job I've I've done football games before at a lower level it's it's very difficult to do. There's a lot of stuff going at high speed, even in the high school levels, to the NFL makes it almost impossible. But when, like you said, every tur- every turnover and scoring play is reviewed, and they're le- and now that they can look for pass interference after they had blown one earlier as well, that it was a momentum changing play with down the sideline also to MVS. That this is a play that you can't afford to miss, and it was one where where you, you this point. Matt Lafleur said after the game, I don't know what pass interference is anymore. Those are his words. Like he, no one knows what they're going to call any time this happens. And it, and the thing that bothers me the most about it is that the end of Mal Riveron is sending out statements defending his guys making mistakes. 
instead of saying this should have been the rule but the ruling was different and we'll, we'll learn from it and move on oh no we the, he completely comes up with some asinine explanation saying oh no we didn't think he, he turned his head enough to do it or something like that and it's, it's one of those points where no team is benefiting from this because no one knows what the call is going to be no one knows what the rule is going to be and whether whether it's going to be very, as arbitrary as it has been this year already with some of these pass interference plays that's really causing some issues league-wide and all it is is creating more of a conundrum and it's and it's, and it's eroding trust by the teams and the officials and also by fans in the official in the in the officiating as well and this is long term is only going to hurt the nfl well, if we only have to remember back one year ago now, and the NFL did the same thing with Clay Matthews in, in the the tie against the Vikings in the following week against Washington, they doubled down and said, look, not only was this roughing the passer, but this is going to be the poster child play that we're going to show teams of what not to do. So the NFL has, has definitely stepped up and, and tried to defend themselves for all the wrong reasons. And I think that was one of the re- one of the things that was so frustrating, and I kind of woke up on Friday still kind of hung over from it because I'm like, you know, the Packers look pretty good so far this season. And just because they lose to the Eagles doesn't mean their season is over by any stretch. I mean, if you look on Packers Twitter, you'd think some people think it is. But I would like to think that if they're going to have a good season and get to the postseason, it's going to be well officiated and they're going to have a chance to win on their or lose on their own merit. It's not going to come down to a call. You know, the other, the other point of view you can take is, well, don't make it come down to one call, you know, win by enough that it doesn't matter if the refs blow one call. But, you know, there's so many things that happen in a game that it's just impossible to, to, to do that at all times. And like you said, when this stuff's happening at, at full speed, I challenge a lot of people to go out there and try to make the right call. And, and they do get it right more often than not. But my simple take is if, if you've got the technology to get it right, either use it or dump it. So, I mean, because, you know, I know in baseball there's, there's a lot of debate and a lot of controversy over the challenges and whether or not, you know, they should even have umpires or they should use computers. I mean, it's, it's just getting kind of ridiculous. But if you've got the technology, then use it, you know, and it just didn't, it didn't happen in that particular case. So Eagles picked the ball off, you know, game, set, match, and we know the game ended. But in terms of some performances to kind of – Highlight, You know, you mentioned Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham had kind of a sneaky good game, which was good to see. I hope he can build on that a little bit because they need they need him. Jimmy, you know, there was some talk about whether or not he's even got anything left in the tank. Is he going to survive this season? I wondered if he was going to even make it through the season. It just looked like he was either disinterested in playing or maybe he's not fully healthy or just doesn't have it anymore. But if he can contribute, that's huge. That's what they brought him in to do better late than never. But Aaron Rodgers had a pretty decent night, 34-53, 422 yards, Two touchdowns and the one unfortunate interception. But Mike, Aaron Rodgers also running around, escaping the pocket, uh, only got sacked that one time. That's that's pretty good. That, that's more vintage Aaron Rodgers. And if, if there's anything good to take out of this whole thing, it's like QB one is back, and that was good to see. No, I agree. And, and if you remember earlier in the week during the press conference, he talked about he wants to get more targets for Devontae Adams and more targets for Jimmy Graham. He did that in spades and. And, there, and I agree. I wonder if Jimmy Graham heard everyone talking about he doesn't have the effort or he's washed up because he played with some fire. He was on the sidelines going nuts after he made some plays, and he and he seemed to be more jacked up than I'd seen him since he'd been a Green Bay Packer. And the, the route that he scored the touchdown was a beautiful route and a beautiful throw. And I'm sure he could he'd probably want to want a couple of these plat, plays back on that goal line that goal line stand early in the fourth, but. I think those two, Rodgers trusts him, I think, and he was good on third downs in moving the chain. So I think 
there's a lot to build on in the passing game. The run game, not so much. But with, with building on what Rodgers and Graham did on Thursday, I think will help open things up, especially in the middle of the field. Yeah, I love it. You know, Jimmy Graham getting fired up, and I, th- I have to wonder if he's not going to say to himself, okay, I, I dropped one. I let one go against Philadelphia. I might have been able to haul that thing in. I'm not doing it a second time, and it helps them beat a team like Dallas or Kansas City or the Chargers, and they can win one of those games that's going to be really tough for them to win. I mean, you ask me, they go into Dallas and win that game in a week and a half, I'll forget all about what happened on Thursday night in a heartbeat. So this team can get right back into it. I think Graham's going to be a big part of the offense and just continuing to build that chemistry with Rodgers. You know, the one thing about Rodgers that I I wanted to notate is he does revert back a lot to some of the old ways that he plays and some of his old habits and getting out of the pocket and rolling out and trying to find somebody. I have to imagine some of that is just the way that he's played for a long time, and, and he's, he's an established veteran. He's a good quarterback. He knows what works for himself. And how much of that is actually Matt LaFleur's offense? So this is still a team that's trying to find their way in a new offense. Yeah, I think so. I think part of it is also – I think LaFleur rode with what he knew was the strength of what was going on because Phillies, like, like I said all, all day, they're banged up defensively, especially in the secondary. So you know throwing is the way to beat them. And I think – with the pockets there, he made some really nice throws. He was good. Like a lot of throws to Graham were from the pocket, but when you're doing stuff, the last stuff to Adams was not. The last stuff doing there, a lot of the stuff to Aaron Jones was out of the pocket using the checkdown. So I think a lot of it was just, especially after the strip sack, I think Rogers' clock may move just a beat faster than it had been before after he, after Barnett got there. So he's a little bit quicker to at least move around and move the pocket. To the point where it, I, it here there still looked like some vintage Rogers stuff, but it did look a lot more structured, as far as how he moved around and how he followed the progressions that were there. And it's one of those things where, yeah, you're not going to change a guy who's been playing similarly for almost 15 years now. But I think he is buying. I, I think he's bought into Mulafleur floor uh, completely. I don't think there's any issues there, any problems that that's been the pro football talk the, like discussion of the week for the past year. But I think there's still some stuff where you gotta let Rodgers be Rodgers. Well, and let's not forget who runs pro football talk. We don't have to go into any further detail there. Absolutely. So, I mean, it would, you know, Aaron Rodgers playing with confidence is good. You know, he was reportedly really upset coming off the field. I love it. I don't mind. I don't mind that at all. I like that. I like the competitive fire in him. I don't want him to think to him, you know, I mean, he, he played with Jordy Nelson for 10 seasons. He had Randall Cobb for eight seasons. Now he's throwing to guys that he hasn't really played with that long. Devontae Adams has been around longest, but I don't think Rogers thinks to himself, Hey, I've got another eight or nine years to develop some chemistry with MVS and, you know, Kumaro and some of the other guys that are out there. He's like, I got to try to get this done in the next three or four years. And so, you, you know, you don't want him to get too laser locked in on 17 just because that's who he's got the chemistry with. It just seems like that's a big thing for him is, you know, who's, who's my guy, who's out there. And I even saw some calls for, you know, when they, they weren't sure if Adams was going to be okay. Hey, do they get on the phone and, and call Jordy Nelson and just crazy stuff like that? You know, work with the guys that you have because these receivers need to, need to take that next step up. And I, I think if they continue to get more time and more reps, they will. Games like this really teach – them a lot and they've got a they've got a great quarterback to learn from so on the other side of the ball Carson Wentz only had to throw it 27 times mostly because of those short fields so 16 to 27 160 yards three touchdowns no pressure on Carson Wentz Mike which was 
a big credit to the Eagles offensive line, but I think the Packers were a little bing, little banged up. Zadarius Smith was a little banged up. He was questionable throughout the week. They just could not get home, and I think that's just as much about Doug Peterson protecting his quarterback and him getting the ball out quickly as it was about Green Bay's just inability to get back there. No, you're right, and there, there was a couple times where they got really close. Like in the first quarter, Preston Smith made Jason Peters look old. He made him look really bad with, with, a, with an inside move. There are a couple plays where they couldn't get Wentz to the ground. Wentz. People forget how athletic Wentz is. He, there's a guy who's gonna, who was going to be a league MVP two years ago before he got hurt. He was having that good of a year. He's big. He's strong. He's mobile. He's Ben Roethlisberger who can move. And he, and so he, there's definitely a lot of of guy to bring down when you're trying to get down Wentz. And a couple times they hit him a little high. They couldn't wrap him up and get him to the ground. Uh, Tremont Williams especially had a really nice blitz that he couldn't finish the play. And then Philadelphia's got a good offensive line. They're their their in their five is a very good group going from Kelsey and Johnson to Peters on on the on the tackle spots. They're they're a balanced, solid group and it's it's part of it's again injuries like Zadarius Smith, like you said, wasn't hundred percent. Montrevious Adams wasn't in there. Uh, so you have Lan- so you had to leave Lancaster in when they're running the ball so well, so that takes a pass rusher off the field. There's a lot of things that just the way the injury system went and the way the game planning and the short fields went it kind of handcuffed what Mike Pettin could do as far as unleashing his guys. Yeah, you forget about Wentz's size. You know, everyone thinks Big Ben is is one category, and you forget some of these other guys are just equally as big as they are. And yeah, Carson Wentz with the athletic ability there. There's a reason why he's is who he is and where he got picked. Why he got picked where he did. So, hats off there. And then the Eagles' running game. You know, Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders combined for 159 yards, two touchdowns. The Packers just could not get these guys down and it looked like there was you know Matt LaFleur said there were some miscommunications throughout the game it looked like on a couple of plays uh, Blake Martinez had a gap responsibility that he didn't seem to play you know some of those things hidden yards you know Jordan Howard we very familiar with him from his days in Chicago the Packers should know all about him and he had uh, a night to remember for himself it was just Second week in a row, the Packers not defending the run very well. And again, if you if you give up those run yards, that's fine. But you can't let teams in the end zone, and you've got to get some turnovers and take the ball away. The Packers just did not do any of that. So two weeks in a row, Mike. Any concern as far as this run defense and how gashed they've gotten two weeks in a row? There is a little bit, and that's going back to the beginning where, and no one would have thought of this two weeks ago. But when you when you lose a guy like Montrevious Adams, because Lancaster's a pure run stopper, Kingsley Kiki right now is a pure pass rusher combined their Montrevious Adams. Adams is a guy where he's not the biggest, but he knows how to hold leverage, he knows how to hold the spot, and he occupies linemen very well, and he's got the motor to hustle plays down from behind with his athleticism. With a guy like that not on the field, and you're having to either take a pass rusher off the field and you have to leave Lancaster in, or you're taking a run stopper out when you put in Kiki on like a third on a third and five or whatever it would be, that does kind of handcuff your defensive line then you factor in guys like Martinez. Martinez is at his best when he doesn't have to try and fight off a block. He's best going in space, shooting a gap, and making a play. But when he has to go in against a guy like Elaine Johnson, he's not going to win that battle. So there, there's a lot of things to be a little nervous about. But if they can get healthy and if they can do a job, because you look at even against Dalvin Cook, at take away that 75-yard run, they did a pretty good job bottling him up as a runner. So I think there, there's a, the ability to do it. But it's just you need to find the right balance of personnel to make those plays happen, and you and it starts with you can't be missing tackles, you can't you can't shoot a field to go after the quarterback and ignore the running back, 
and and you have to find a way for your defend your three down linemen to occupy their blocks and do the job that they that they're out there to do. So it's just it's just all those little things going through and and I'm still in awe of how Philadelphia basically stole Jordan Howard from the Bears because that that was just a stupid trade. Yeah, and he had he had a good night. It was on, you know it was really frustrating. They just they they couldn't bring him down, and it just seemed like when he was falling forward, he was falling forward four and five yards. I mean, it was just you know even when when they had him wrapped up to tackle him, it was like they were they were pulling him down forward, and it, it was like there was just more yards and upon yards upon yards. And the consolation prize for this Packers defense is in ten days they get to face Ezekiel Elliott and the Dallas Cowboys. So there is no rest for the weary with the run D, and hopefully they can get some get themselves healthy and ready to go and fare better in that one than they have so far. Because if they don't, it could be another tough game uh, in this one on the road. So the Eagles' running game turned in a really good night. But I kind of want to finish up on on a guy that was a big focal point during and after the game, obviously because of the toe injury, but Devontae Adams. The Eagles have, in every single game so far this season, given up a ton of catches and yards to the other team's you know number one wide receiver. That's been their trend. So it looked like Devontae Adams was going to be primed to have a big night, and he did. He didn't even finish the game. But he had 10 catches, 180 yards was such a key part of, you know, he had a, had a 50 plus yard catch, you know, he's, he's getting face masks that aren't called. Uh, Derek Barnett tried to launch himself at, at Adams on a, on one of those catches. Adams had already gone down. That was actually the face mask. He gets pulled down by the face mask, which might've saved his head because Derek Barnett's diving for him and misses him. And then of course he's got the toe injury, which we know now isn't too serious, but 10 catches for 180 yards. This is a guy that the Packers just cannot afford to be without. He is just ultra, Incredible! It's the footwork. And, Mike, I have to think, if he's in the game and they've got first and goal with a chance to tie this thing up, I think they get in because there's no way 17 is going to be denied four straight times. No, he is the best in the NFL at running the slant route. And he gets just that quick jab out, and it's almost unguardable to get him in. So, yeah, I think with him in there, that again, with him or Jamal Williams, that, that four-down series completely changes. It's a completely different result. And – when you look at the numbers he had, he had the best first half by a Packer receiver since Antonio Freeman. He set a career high himself in yards, and he he was he was unstoppable. He the Philadelphia had no answer for him, no matter who they put on him. They could have put they could have signed Darrell Revis and in his prime, and it wouldn't have mattered. Adams was on another level with his route running and with the stuff he was able to do after the catch. That it was something that a receiver the Packers haven't seen in a while. Jordy Nelson couldn't do what Adams can do. And much as like Adams can't, can't do everything that Jordy did as well, but Adams was this was the player we'd been waiting to see when you get him the right amount of targets, and he was he was with the exception of Aaron Rodgers, he was the best player on the field in that game. Well, and they said they wanted to get him more touches, and and they weren't. I mean, that's the easiest cliche thing to say is, of course, you want to get the ball in the hands of your best playmaker. But the Eagles' defense will give you that, and they had a chance to do it. And I I credit the Packers for capitalizing on it. You know, injuries happen. That's not something you can foresee. It's just it's part of the the game. Tay still had himself a great day, but yeah, I mean, he's he's got a chance to separate from anybody. If you need a tough yard. You know, you can either run the ball or you can you can throw the ball to Devontae Adams because he is going to get some separation from his man. And, and you know, it's interesting. He he did play a little bit when Revis was still in the league. That would have been a fun matchup to watch. But I have to imagine even the you know the best corners in the game right now, if Devontae Adams isn't on their radar and he's not cracking that top five list, he absolutely should be. So big 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 kudos to Adams and and obviously a, a great day and a, and a much needed day to keep the Packers in the game. Unfortunately, couldn't be out there on that last series though. 
And you make the point, you talked about with Jordan Howard, that's the only thing that makes Adams so good is that when they wrap him up and try and tackle him, he always falls forward. He is so difficult to tackle in the open field that he always gets you that extra three, four, five yards going to the ground to the point where he can he, he moves the chains that way himself as well. And that's a receiver that's very rare. And even, uh, I think Stefan Gilmore, they asked him last year, who is toughest receivers to guard? And he listed Adams in one of his top three. So the top corners are definitely aware and they know that it's that it's almost that it's tough for them to do even for them. Yeah, absolutely. So as it usually turns out, there's always a handful of plays. It's a small handful of plays that make the difference in any most any football game. And we've kind of gone through all of those that stood out in the Packers Eagles game. Now they've got a little bit of extended rest before they get ready to go to Dallas, hit the road for the first time in almost a month and take on the Cowboys. So, Mike, I want to thank you for filling in this week. Any final thoughts before we sign off? No, just remember everyone, the sky is not falling. They're still three and one. They're on a pace for the 12 and four season. The the Eagles are a, are a very good team, so don't be too worried about losing one game by a single score. The team is going to be fine. They're on the right track. And of course, and always, you can always keep chanting, go pack, go. Just keep the faith. Yeah, absolutely. You can find Mike's great work over at Dairyland Express. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Mike Wenlent. You can follow me at Jason Perone. Want to thank every thank you again, Mike, for coming on. And like you said, as always, go pack, go. We'll talk to you next time.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.